grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. I have to tell you that the pulpit clock says it's still 9.30. <laughs> but we know different, don't we? Regardless of what time it is, it is God's time and it is time for us to come together to worship. So whether we are here in the sanctuary of the village church or gathered online, welcome. Let us worship God and let us be called together in worship as we read responsively from the fifth psalm. Give ear to our words, O Lord. Give heed to our sighing. O Lord, in the morning you hear our voice. In the morning we plead our case to you and watch. But we, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. We will bow down toward your holy temple in awe of you. Lead us, O Lord, in your righteousness, and make your way straight before us. Let us worship God. Jesus was not ashamed 
to show his wounds. They were, after all, the marks of his ordeal and of his death. So don't let shame keep your heart hidden. Bring your wounded selves into the light, because surely we are all marked by the battles that we have faced. Let's go to God in confession together. God of mercy and truth, we seek your forgiveness for the sinful way we live. We are unworthy to be your children, unfit to be your servants. We are burdened with memories of things undone that ought to have been done, and of things done that ought not to have been done. Bring us afresh the healing and cleansing power of your spirit, that we may lay hold of the salvation you offer and walk in newness of life. To the glory and praise of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus was not ashamed of his wounds because they bore testimony to his resurrection. And we've been given the right and the power of resurrection ourselves when we were forgiven of our sins. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, this living Savior, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. of Christ be with you. As we prepare to greet one another, we would invite our kids who are fifth grade and younger to meet their Sunday school leaders in the back. And if you're in a, if you are fifth grade and up and you would like to join our youth group, you can join them in the youth room that's going on even now. So let's turn and greet one another. It is a beautiful thing for us to greet each other with the peace of Christ because Christ has met us. Christ is with us in every moment of life and so I want you to be aware of some of the moments coming ahead in the life of the church where we can continue to worship and serve God. First of all, our youth group is continuing to collect clothing, especially men's clothing, today and through Friday. On Saturday, they will be going down to New Day Ministries to deliver all that clothing to some folks who can use it. So please, if you didn't bring anything today, go home, clean out your closets, or go to Walmart or Target or Brooks Brothers or Nordstrom's and clean out their closets. 
and deliver everything here by Friday. We'll be happy to get it to everybody. We are, of course, coming very close to the highest, holiest time in the Christian calendar as we prepare for Holy Week and Easter. So be aware of all these things going on. First of all, the Saturday before Palm Sunday, April 1st, we will have our extravaganza, inviting all the children and families of the church, including folks of every age, regardless of age, to have breakfast together, to share in a retelling of the story of Easter, and then to celebrate in some very special ways with eggs and all that normal stuff. So that's Saturday, April 1 at 9 o'clock. Then the next day on Sunday, the 2nd of April, Palm Sunday, our choir supplemented by many others from the community as well as a full orchestra will be singing parts of the Rutter and Faure Requiems, 7 o'clock on on April the 2nd. Plan to come and plan to invite your friends. That Thursday, April 6th, is Maundy Thursday. At 7, we will gather here for worship where we will share the Lord's Supper, remembering the institution of the Lord's Supper on the night before Passover, and then as well in the tenebrae service of darkness as we prepare for Good Friday. And then, of course, on Easter itself, we'll be here at 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and 11 o'clock to worship God. 7 o'clock, we'll be outside our more or less sunrise service, and then 9 and 11 here in the sanctuary. Plan to come to all of those celebrations. It will change your view of the life of the church. Now, though, we have an opportunity to participate with our bodies as we present to God our tithes and offerings. You may bring them to the baskets here in the front. You may go onto the QR code that's on your bulletin or in some other way, present your God to God your offering of yourself as well as all that you have. God bless.
As the congregation is seated, I'd invite the Warner and Hilgren families to join me here at the baptismal font. and out. Good job. Good job. Grant and Allison Warner are here to present their son for the sacrament of baptism in the church of Jesus Christ. As we gather, we hear these words of Jesus, who said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus then, and sure of his presence with us, we baptize those whom he calls to be his own. In Jesus Christ, God has promised to forgive our sins and to join us together in the family of faith, which is his church. He has delivered us from darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In Jesus Christ, God has promised to be our Father and to welcome us as sisters and brothers of Christ. Grant and Allie, in presenting your son for baptism, you announce your faith in Jesus Christ, and you show that you want your son to study him, to know him, to love him, and to serve him, as his chosen disciple. Now show your purpose by answering these questions. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. Do you trust in him? We do. And do you intend for your son to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? We do. And now I have this question for the grandparents, who are also the godparents. Greg and Judy. Greg and Nancy. <laughs> As specially chosen godparents, do you promise to encourage Grant and Allie with your wise counsel and patient prayer, and then to surround Charlie with your joy and your love as you also teach him the way of Jesus? Do you? We do. We do. Great. Our Lord Jesus Christ ordered us to teach those who are baptized. Do you, the people of the village church, promise to tell this child the good news of the gospel, to help him to know all that Christ commands, and by your fellowship, to strengthen his family ties with the household of God? Do you? We do. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your faithfulness that is promised in this sacrament, and we thank you for the hope that we have in your son Jesus as we baptize with water, baptize us with the Holy Spirit, so that what we say may be your word and what we do may be your work. By your power may we be made one with Christ our Lord in common faith and purpose. Amen. What is your son's name? Charles Gregory. Come here, buddy. <laughs> Charlie, I've got some water here. 
water that reminds us that God's Spirit moved over the face of the waters to create the dry land as our home. Water that reminds us that through the waters of the Red Sea and the waters of the Jordan River, God took his people to take them into the promised land. It was in those same waters that Jesus himself was baptized. And now, Charles Gregory, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to call you Charlie the Chill One. (laughs) You are more relaxed than I am up here. (laughs) And that's totally cool because we should be perfectly at home in this place and especially with these people, the family of God. You have been brought into this place so that your larger family can share their faith and promise to share faith with you. And all of us now, Charlie, have promised to support you and encourage you and to be a family, to be a home where you are welcomed and where you will learn the love of Jesus Christ. Especially we're going to be praying for your folks when you get into junior high. I knew your mom when she was in junior high, and that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) But it's a privilege to welcome you today. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of receiving this child into your holy love and into this part of your family, representing the worldwide Church of Jesus Christ. May you strengthen and encourage him and reveal yourself to him in ways that will help him to follow you and to learn the blessing of knowing the Savior. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll babysit any time. There we go. Thank you, guys. God bless. God bless. Bless you, brother. What a wonderful, beautiful event. What a way to set our hearts just in the right space to go to God in prayer. Let's go to God. Oh God, you who became body and presence, you who wanted to share the path and the bread and the cup, who loved and embraced, who dreamed and suffered, who assumed the pain and stored up hopes. Compel us to walk as your feet, alongside and up close to those who feel pain, the pain of an unwanted absence or a threatening presence, pain that like a dagger cuts the soul and rips open the heart. Oh God, you touched injured bodies You stretched out your hand to the despised bodies. You put on a body that struggled alongside the most humble. You felt in your own flesh the brutality of oppression. So, God, with all of that, let us, in the very least, lend our shoulder in your name to those who cry, to those who need to know themselves as loved and content, 
You who shepherd the lost and comfort the afflicted, guide our hands to touch the untouchable, our ears to listen to the hopeless, and our eyes to see the misery of others, our hearts to feel the pain of prisoners. Help us, Lord, to suspend our judgment just for a little while, just for enough time to take risks, to be channels of healing and mercy, and to remind us that this gift of healing comes from you, and in giving freely and mercifully, we are healed ourselves. God, you are the God of the transcendent body, of the body that makes one body, community, people. You are the God of the body that remains present in every search for justice and freedom and fulfillment. And in each act of resisting the perverse, in each table where shared bread reaches and remains and where wine is a transforming sacrament, give us your hand of solidarity and walk with us to places where people can live and love and be free. And God, rescue us from the waters of resignation so that we may reach out again and again and again to those who cannot help themselves until hope is restored to them and our loving becomes more like yours. We pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Exodus. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, "Look." The Israelite people are more numerous than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks they imposed upon them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Why have you done this? Because 
So God dealt with the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. And now reading from the first letter to the Corinthians. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. I don't know if maybe it hits you today like it hit me actually a few weeks back when I started preparing for today's worship. I don't know if it's just a terrible kind of irony or if it's something much more than that, but here we are today celebrating the birth of a male child and noting that the Christian faith of that child's parents and grandparents and the Christian faith of the family that is the church leads us to promise to nurture that child in the love of Jesus. And yet here we've just heard an ancient story about people who believed in the same God that we do and yet it was the decree of the Pharaoh, the absolute master of those people, that when their male children were born, they were to be thrown into the river so that they would die. Oftentimes when we hear scripture being read, we don't put ourselves into the story, but please today, let's put ourselves into this story. People just like you and me, who loved their families, who loved their children, and yet who were commanded to kill their male children all for the sake of political expediency, all because of human fear. It is, I suppose, the nature of human life. 
It is the human problem that we live somewhere in the midst of the extremes of the good and the beautiful, the gift of a child into the world, and the bad and the almost unthinkable, taking that child away from the life that God has given it. Today, as I speak, there are children who are being killed because of warfare, because of famine, for whatever reason. And it's not just the children, of course. In a sense, this story is a nutshell of the whole problem of human existence, that you and I do things that are directly opposite of the will of God. Now, I know it's not a happy topic to look at these things, but there it is. It's a story in the Bible. It's the story that begins the book of Exodus. And we have to look at it. This is the season of Lent. And in this season of Lent, as we move toward the memory of Jesus' death, as we move toward the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, we are speaking with each other about the topic of exile. We are remembering that hundreds of years after this story in Egypt, the nation of Israel was destroyed and its people exiled from Israel to Babylon. We remember that the people are lost, they are devastated, and they are weeping by the rivers of Babylon where they have been exiled. We've already noted that there are all kinds of exile in life where you and I are not where we want to be in life. But then in the midst of that exile, in the meantime, so to speak, we people of faith are called to settle in and to flourish in whatever ways we can to find God's blessing and then to share God's blessing. There is so much more that we need to say, though, about the fact of the existence of exile in human life, not just the exile of being taken from your home and being put somewhere else, but all the other kinds of exiles that happen where we find ourselves exiled from the love of God. And so let's look a little bit more carefully at that story from Exodus. You'll remember that God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And then God gives to Abraham and Sarah the child Isaac. And then God gives to Isaac the child Jacob. And then to the child Jacob, God gives not one, but 13 children. Twelve are boys, one is a girl. As the story continues, these 12 tribes, we now call them, of Israel, grow and flourish and multiply. And hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, they find themselves a great nation. Eleven of the brothers have been left back in the Holy Land, but 
One of them, the next to youngest, was a spoiled brat because he was always treated as the favorite and the 11 had conspired against him and he had been sent off into Egypt. But there, Joseph, through the blessing of God and through the exercise of his amazing intelligence and political acumen, rose from being a refugee to being put in the number two position in Egypt. There was a great famine in the land, and so the 11 brothers brought their families into Egypt to find food, and we don't have time to tell the story, but Joseph, because of his power and position, Joseph saves their bacon, (laughs) and the people continue to live. Now, though, when this story occurs, that first generation who have come into Egypt, Joseph and all of his brothers and even old, old Jacob, they've all died. That generation has passed away and there's a new Pharaoh in town. And that Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't know the story. He doesn't care. That's the way it happens in life. No matter how powerful, no matter how popular, someday we are forgotten. How's that for good news today? (laughs) But that's what happens. The people, though, the Hebrew people, have flourished. They've grown strong. There's more and more and more of them. And this new Pharaoh is threatened. He worries that these people living in Egypt but not Egyptian will one day rise up and overthrow his government. And so slowly he enslaves them. They become the workers who build the great empire. And more than that, more than that, he's determined eventually to cut them off at the knees, to take their power from them. And so he says to some Hebrew midwives, whenever a male child is born, kill it. They refuse. And so then he says to the whole population, whenever a male child is born, throw it into the Nile. What this story is about is partly this, that anybody at any time in history is living under the threat of being moved from the middle to the margins of society, being moved from where life is good to where life is challenging. That word margin is a good word for us to think about today. In modern terms, we would say that these Hebrew people were marginalized. They were pushed out of a place of plenty, a place of privilege, and they were pushed to the edges They were excluded from the blessings that they had enjoyed. We call that marginalization, but marginalization is not unique to this story, to this period of history. It is not unique to any group of people. It is not unique to any particular time. It happens all the time. The young and the powerful become not so young, not so powerful. The majority sometimes becomes 
the minority. And sometimes people are simply born into the fringes of some sort. There are still many places in the world, and it was true in our place in the world, that to be born female means to be born at a disadvantage. Or to be born some color other than white. Or to be born too short or too tall, too wide or too narrow, too smart or too dumb. To be born different from those who are in power maybe speaking a different language, having a different sexual expression, a different outlook on life, even having a different religion, can exclude you from being in the middle. These things are so prevalent in human life and society everywhere that we, we call them by different isms. Ageism, sexism, racism... People are conquered by a stronger power and then they are marginalized. People are conquered by those who enslave them for sex. The ways in which marginalization happens in our society back then and even now are too many to outline. But they all have to do with the denial of basic human rights that we cherish and that we believe are given by God. If you're Christian, you might also be wondering and thinking to yourself about the fact that Jesus was marginalized. He chose it for himself. He came from heaven to earth. He condescended to us. He gave up the privileges of divinity to become human. As it is written in Philippians, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is, I think we can say, the ultimate marginalization to be God. And still while you are God, to become human. Now that's all great theology. That's a telling and compelling story from the ancient past. And it's truth that we proclaim that we believe, but it means nothing unless we do something with it. And so what do we do? What do we do with this fact of marginalization? Well, to start, I suggest that you and I need to begin to move away from being someone who marginalizes others. We all do it, and it's been done to us, has it not? There's the old versus the young, or the young versus the old. The beautiful versus the ugly, or the ugly versus the beautiful. The popular kids versus the unpopular kids, or vice versa. The nine o'clock worshipers or the 10.30 worshipers. 
you should hear what they had to say about you. <laughs> we need to see it where it is and name it for what it is. We have all suffered by being excluded by somebody else, and we still do. And we need to see where others are excluded by us. I believe that you and I can identify with and begin to understand anybody else on the face of the planet as we connect what it is like to be excluded with their being excluded, regardless of the form of it. And so we should always be asking God, where have we excluded others? And then we need to be asking God to teach us ways to work against that exclusion, to seek out those things that we can begin to believe and then act on that will include rather than exclude. Is one of the six great purposes of the church of Jesus Christ to, in the ancient language, promote social righteousness, to help the world become a place where nobody is excluded, but everybody is included. And so we need to look at how we operate in the world, and then we need to look at how we ourselves live. We need to continue to learn that being excluded by others is not the ultimate reality of our lives. The ultimate reality of our lives is defined not by one of us, not by all of us, not by our history, not by our present, not by our future, but by God. As it is written in the first letter to the Corinthians, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are not afraid of naming where we ourselves might be in the position of excluding others. Therefore, we welcome the things that we can learn about true life as we live on the edge that someone else has created for us or that we have created for ourselves. Therefore, we seek out other people to support us. Therefore, we learn that our status in the world is a different thing from our status in the eyes of God. Therefore, we never give up hope. Therefore, we elevate others because there is always someone further out on the edge than yourself. Therefore, we learn to live like Jesus, who came from the very center of creation and came to the fringes out where we are to teach us about life that is totally dependent on God and life, therefore, that reaches out to include others. 
So let me ask, where are you today? Where have you been pushed out? Where have you been left out? Where are you pushing others away and leaving others out? Where are we all needing the touch of Jesus today to bring us close to his heart, to invite us to bring someone else along? We need to go to that place where the Hebrew people were by the rivers of Babylon to live with them in their exile and then to find ours revealed. We need to go to that place by the River Nile as the baby boys are being thrown in. We need to go to that place where those two Hebrew midwives were who refused to participate in the evil that the Pharaoh pronounced for them. We need to follow Jesus, the Savior, who died for us and then rose again to new life for us so that all of us can live together in the center with him. Amen. We come now to a time where we are able to let rest the words that we've just heard, let them saturate our minds, and then bring them into application as we affirm our faith together. Will you please stand with me and let's affirm our faith. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God, and not by that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us.
of my favorite posters is something I saw a long, long time ago. It has a picture of two faces, both Native American women with lots and lots of years behind them. Their faces are so wrinkled, it's a little bit hard even to make out their distinguishing features. But they have huge smiles on their faces that reveal mouths that have very few teeth left in them. The caption of the poster reads this. It says, once we were young and beautiful, and now we are just beautiful. There are all kinds of reasons that we can push others away out to the margins of our own love, out to the margins of God's love. But as far as God is concerned, we are all still beautiful. And so we take others in as we ourselves have been. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forever. Amen.